ladies and gentlemen, here we go, and it's time for Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Savalera, and back from the EMS World Tour of Making Smarter EMTs and Paramedics, our good friend, let's go ahead and say, Kelly Grayson, welcome back. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. I'm uh, muddling through, and and right now I'm listening to the quiet, steady hum of the generator powering my home. Once again, it's, I, guess, I hope that's not my prelude for uh, my practice for hurricane season again. But uh, we just had well, a pretty nasty thunderstorm roll through here, and power's been out for about four hours now. Well, at least you got a generator. I and mean, there are a lot of people that when they go through that, for days they've got nothing and uh, ruin the food in the refrigerator. You know, they're uh, having challenges. Yeah. But uh, generators are the way to go, man. Yeah, and, and so many idiots – sold their generators like immediately after the power was restored after hurricane Laura and then boom, hurricane Delta hits <laughs> and they're out buying generators again. It's like, man, come on now. Yeah. Well, it definitely is one of those things that is a uh, nice to have, not a need to yeah. have, but uh, you know, since you and I have been doing this show, we have canceled many a recording day because of no power down there in Pitkin, Louisiana. That is true. When I will, I will have to relocate at some point to uh, to to something that is at least in the twenty first century, uh, and um, something that has a, a lower tooth to tattoo ratio uh, or a higher tooth to tattoo ratio, depending on depending on which one you're talking about. Uh, That's right, man. That's a uh, Freudian slip there. But Kelly, we got some business to do, and one of yeah. the stories that took us uh, by surprise. A few months back was the former nurse in Nashville, Tennessee, that gave the wrong medication to a patient. She was going into the, uh, I'm going to say Pixis, but I don't know if it was a Pixis system, and to get some Versed for a patient that was agitated. uh, She overrode the system and uh, actually, by mistake, took out uh, paralytic gave that medication to the patient and the next day the patient passed away. And of course she was brought up on criminal charges and uh, she was found guilty this week. And this really has the uh, EMS agency. This really has the nursing lobby up in arms and Kelly, it would be good to probably talk about this because we're kind of seeing some of this as well in our career field with the things that are going on up there in Colorado and Minnesota had a challenge with, some Uh ketamine and uh, is this what the future is going to look like i think you know the nurse uh, was found guilty and uh, she's going to do to be sentenced i believe in may all eyes are going to be on nashville when that happens but uh, we need to probably talk about medication errors we probably need to talk about what this does for the uh, accidental uh, um, you know misidentification of a medicine and giving the wrong medicine to a patient uh, does it bring us to uh, being forthcoming or does this sweep these kind of things under the rug? But a lot of things to unpack here. What's your initial thoughts? Well, I think that uh, in the future, uh, nurses at Vanderbilt Medical Center and, and in the surrounding areas are going to have wonderful medication compliance and have zero error rate. Absolutely zero. That's what I think. Uh, now, is it actually going to reflect reality? No, but no one is going to report medication errors after this. I think this was a really, really big mistake, uh, and it bodes 
bodes ill for the future of, of uh, you know, nursing and, and, and the EMS and, and, you know, the, the just culture system where, where you can um, report errors uh, without fear of, of reprisal because it happened here. And, and, you know, this nurse made some egregious errors. However, she was not the only one that made some egregious errors. She's the only one that got charged, only one that got convicted, but she was a victim of some systemic problems in that system. Uh, and, and, you know, most of us knowing what, what went on would say there, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, this is not something, some isolated, uh, thing. She was not the only person, the only nurse, um, bypassing safety controls in the PIXA system to get medications out. It was a commonplace thing. And it was, it was, um, winked at or, or ignored in that system. Uh, and, and a lot of things were going on, you know, she was floated to, to an area where she was not familiar with the medications. It was just a, a cascade of really bad events. But beyond that, it's not just a failure of Redonda Vault to, to practice safe nursing. Uh, it's a failure of the system. The system failed Redonda Vault just as much as it failed the patient that day. And, and during the trial, there was an expert witness who argued that uh, this nurse violated the standard of care expected for nurses she grabbed the wrong medication. She failed to read the name of the medication. She didn't notice the red warning on top of the medication. She didn't stay with the patient to see if there was uh, adverse reactions that happened after delivery of the medication. And, you know, when we think about this, these are things that we're supposed to do. These are things that we're supposed to document. These are things that we're supposed to see. And when we think about this from a medication error, I mean, Kelly, in your years, have you ever grabbed the wrong medication and almost yeah. draw it up? You know, really? I, I certainly have. And I got to tell you, if it wasn't for my uh, the EMT I was working with at the time, I would have put that wrong medication into, I was supposed to give atropine, and Kelly, I grabbed lidocaine. Oh. And that would have been very, very uh, detrimental. And as I was getting to give it, my partner actually saw the box on the bench seat Instead of putting it to the left side of my body, I put it to the right side of my body. And before I gave it, she actually yelled to me to stop uh, and pointed to the lidocaine box. And I have to tell you, that jarred me a little bit and affected my confidence because I was, uh, you know, working under, uh, you know, a fog, I guess. I was working under something that uh, other than common sense, but... I'm sure that you've been in this position as well, but uh, if it's going to result in uh, negligent homicide, would I have brought that up? Would I have said, oh, my God, look what I did? I, I would like to think I would, but uh, th this is really going to now scare people to say, I'm going to keep these medication errors to myself. Yeah, yes, indeed. Um, uh, similar event happened to me, potentially even more lethal. I asked my partner to hand me a vial of Zofran on Dancitron. And he handed me a vial identical in size. Uh, and the cap color was green, just like on Dancitron. And just force of habit, I checked it before I had taken the, the seal off and had the needle in the plunger uh, or in the stopper and realized I was drawing up 400 micrograms of dopamine and was about to administer 400 micrograms of dopamine IV push. 
that probably would have been a fatal medication error. I probably would have killed that patient. Right. Uh, and, and, Oh God, you talk about a, a chill sent to your bones. Uh, but I, re- I self-reported that. And within the week, there was a, a company-wide directive to uh, keep on, on Dancitron and dopamine in separate pouches of the drug drug bag. And within a month after that, we were getting on Dancitron with gray caps instead of green. Uh, so we got it packaged differently because that medication near miss medication error was reported. These things now, you know, it has been disincentivized to report these things and safety, I think is going to suffer just like you, you pointed out. Yeah. So one of the things that we think about from this standpoint is, um, how, how do we how do we work within this this space that we're in now, right? So when we think about this from this nurse uh, and her guilty verdict, when we think about the challenges that went on with ketamine, um, it, it does this now open the door for prosecutors to go after EMTs and paramedics and uh, nurses for these types of errors? I mean, the catalyst has been set now. So are we having to do our business better and cleaner than the next guy more than usual? I mean, we're getting complacent and comfortable with our practice. Um, we need to probably start to bone up on that. But I mean, what's your thought about this? You think it's going to be commonplace now? I, I think it, it can definitely be more commonplace in, in that particular region. One of our legal friends pointed out one time that, that uh, how precedent is set in the court system. And it's really not... Uh, precedents and court decisions are not binding at the district court level. Uh, generally, precedents are set at the appeals court level um, and, and you know, becomes case law and you can cite that precedent in your prosecution or your defense or, or what have you. Um, but uh, decisions made and verdicts at the district court level uh, are, do not set precedent. So, you know, I don't know that legally, uh, it could, it will ease or hinder prosecution or, or anything like that. But I, I think it will cause a ripple effect in the minds and hearts of medical providers. Uh, and they're going to be really, really leery of, of being in the same situation uh, as Redonda Vault and, and uh, owning up to it and doing the right thing. Um, you mentioned something earlier. You mentioned about, you know, the, the expert witness testifying about standard of practice and that she violated the standard of practice. But, you know, standard of practice is kind of, it's a vague construct, Chris. It's, it's, it is, it's just that. It's standard of practice. And standard of practice in one area might be different from standard of practice in another area. And generally, standard of practice is something that is, uh, is determined by 12 people who are too ignorant to know how to get out of jury duty. <laughs> it really is. And, and the thing is, is if you look at, if you define standard of practice as by what another provider in a similar situation would have done, you have to take into account the system burden, uh, the fatigue, the system controls that were bypassed on a regular basis by, by plenty of people besides this nurse, and then realize that the system, the, the, you may say that the standard of care is one thing, but the, but the care as it is actually practiced is something different. A case could probably be made that, that the standard of care is to bypass all the safety controls in the PIXA system because everybody was doing it. 
She wasn't the only one that did it. She wasn't the only one that did it that day. Um, it happened all the time. She didn't stay one-on-one to monitor a sedated patient, but she wasn't the only one that didn't do that thing. And the hospital let that sort of thing go on uh, and then tried to cover it up after the fact. I think they bear some culpability as well. Yeah, I don't know the covering up thing, so I can't speak to that. But it's interesting that during, um, you know, prior to sentencing or just after she was found guilty, um, you know, she did make the comment that, she doesn't regret being honest and admitting the mistake because she went ahead and went to the doctor right away um, or very quickly after and said, I made this mistake. Uh, she does feel like she's being a scapegoat after Vanderbilt became the subject of a surprise inspection by the Centers for uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services. She said someone had to pay the price and it's just easy to say, let her just do it. And that's her words. And you know, she says that nurses see it, medics see it, radiology techs see it. What's interesting is that the assistant district attorney, Kelly Chadwick Johnson, he made the comment that this isn't a case against the nursing community. This is a case against one individual. I got to tell you, man, I think I disagree with that. I, I think this too. really is, totally. it does bring the medical community into this challenge. And, and we've got to be able to do our job better and cleaner than the next guy. Yeah. You know, and and culture trickles down. Culture doesn't bubble up from the lowest nurse on the floor uh, up to hospital administration. And that culture trickles down. And and her mistake did not happen in a vacuum. It was an egregious mistake. She deserves to bear responsibility for it. I don't know that criminal culpability is something that she deserved. but certainly civil, uh, some civil damages uh, for certain. But the lowest rung on the totem pole of a system that is having some major problems, CMS found some really systemic problems in their investigation. The lowest person on the totem pole was the one punished and everyone above her that was responsible for promulgating and maintaining the system that failed her got off scot-free. And, and I just can't, maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's my grunt's eye view of, of EMS and care um, yeah. that I, I think that, that um, no one practiced responsibility upward in that situation. And there's a lot more people that are culpable for this patient's death than just Redonda Vaughn. I think it's a miscarriage of justice that they, uh, that that's not being perceived. Yeah. And again, I can't, uh, I can't speak you know, to what happened, uh, you know, in the, in the facility and how this, uh, normalization of deviance really came about. That's exactly what it is. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's normalization of deviance. You do it enough times, it becomes practice. The standard you walk past is the standard you accept. Right. And that's the thing too. I mean, the reason that the Pixis was so successful, and again, I'm calling the Pixis. I don't know if it was a Pixis system. There were other, there were other X or Xerox. Exactly. (laughs) There, there are other, and I want, I don't want to miscategorize the machine, but when we talk about a drug dispensing uh, uh, administrator, uh, administrative machine, it's put in place just for this thing. You know, we're able now to connect it to a patient. We're able now to get exactly what we need. We're able to get into the drawer that needs to uh, be opened. It opens it for us. And, uh, but when the machine says, you know, we don't have this medication and you bypass that machine to go in and say, well, I'm going to find it. I, I think that that's a challenge. I think that that's a problem. 
But <clears throat> I want to get specifically now to some solution. So you're a teacher of uh, EMTs. You're a teacher of paramedics. Uh, you've been an educator for a lot of years. I've been in the education side for a lot of years. What do we do now for our workforce? What do we do now for the people who are in the field that reach for drugs every day like you and I have in the past? And how do we develop a practice to ensure that these types of mistakes, one, are uh, minimized, and two, if they occur, that they're going to be forthcoming? I think, number one, take, uh, you know, have, have a safe means of, of reporting drug errors without, without a fear of reprisal. Um, I, when I say fear of reprisal, I mean criminal prosecution. Uh, some, some errors, you know, if you practice in a just culture system, some errors are flat out unforgivable. And there, there are things that are, you know, willful, uh, willful uh, malfeasance <laughs> is something that gets you fired. Uh, if you ignored the safety protocols and did something willfully wrong, uh, there's that's that's on you. Uh, but it strikes me that the education here was extremely poor. You know, we we tell people uh, that I teach my I teach medics and, and EMTs uh, the five rights of drug administration as does everybody else. But there are there are engineering controls that are set in place for a reason. For example. Uh, a great many, uh, uh, a great many uh, places carry uh, paralytic agents like VEC and Rock and succinylcholine in reconstitutable vials, and it's not just because those things are they're more shelf stable that way, and and they we can keep them longer without them expiring. Uh, it's also because reconstituting the medication is an additional step that makes it safer to give the medication. If you have to take an additional step, draw up a draw up the, the uh, uh, solution and, and inject it into the powder and mix it, that's one more mechanical step that you have to go through before you can give this medication. And hopefully it will, you know, uh, another chance to catch a potential error. Um, you make note of uh, in, in education of the fact that uh, your paralytic agents say, warning, paralytic agent on the lid, on the cap. Not only does it say it on the label, but for you to take the, the cap off the medication, it also says it there. Now, VEC and ROC and succinylcholine and, and, and uh, Pabulon and, and those types of agents uh, have not always had that warning label printed on the cap. I think in 2017, they, they uh, quit making it without the warning label on the, on the lid. Uh, that was something that was imposed in 2017. So five, almost six years now, uh, those medications have been only available with those warning labels. But just the fact that, you know, she, hopefully one would think that, that an ICU nurse would be educated well enough that if you have, if you have to draw up an agent that has to be reconstituted, that you're not giving a simple sedative. Uh, so I think there was some there was some education lacking there. Now was it was it her fault? She didn't get the message. Uh, she didn't pay attention in class, or was the education not provided? You know, Kelly, I'm glad you said that because I forgot that point that we know that Bursed comes in you know a liquid, and this was a medication that she had to uh, reconstitute uh, a powder into liquid. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, and I forgot that point. I mean, so you're absolutely right. So that's another thing that was uh, 
overlooked in this mistake as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. Right now, we've got people. Uh, I, I see this, and I, I think there, but for the grace of God, go I. How many medics, EMTs, nurses, and physicians are working under tremendous workload for the last two and a half years? Uh, they're fatigued. And when you're tired and when you're worn out and harried, uh, safety protocols often get bypassed. You know, that's when you're, you're, you let your guard down. Uh, you take a shortcut that you shouldn't have taken. Um, and, and you get a little complacent because you're tired. And that sort of thing is, is going to happen, is going to continue to happen as long as we're working people as hard as we are right now. Um, question is, is, uh, is the system going to recognize that? And, and take steps to, to make, it, uh, make it safer for the patients and, and uh, more acceptable to report drug errors. But hey, that's what we think. We'd like to hear what you think. Was criminal prosecution necessary in this case? Does it bode ill for our profession and the, the standard of, of reporting? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. For myself and co-host Chris Ceballero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We'll catch you next week.